But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6. Who needs a cough drop? No, I'm serious. Somebody need a cough drop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be scared. Yeah, I'm a... I'm hoarse. Here you go. I'm uh, losing my voice. We've got a lot of folks who got the crud, and some people are home, uh, keeping the crud to themselves. Some of us just bring it with us and try to bless everybody with it. No, I'm kidding. We, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to know sometimes, isn't it? Hard to know whether to come or stay, and you just have to make your, you know, you have to uh, decide that on your own. But um, we do have some folks that are sick and. Uh, some in the hospital, and uh, we prayed for them this morning, and we'll pray on Wednesday night that students and adults will meet together and and pray, and um, some of you I know, and I think we're going to have prayer time on Wednesday night. You think, well, I'm going to stay home. It's just, just prayer time. Well, one day, you're going to be in the ICU, or you're going to be waiting on a diagnosis, and you're going to want your church family to pray for you. Prayer is the work. It's not just preparation to do the work. Prayer is the work. So we're going to pray on a Wednesday night, and I hope you'll come. We're going to eat good food, and we're going to pray together and leave encouraged, okay? Guarantee you, you'll be encouraged if you come and pray with us on Wednesday night. You might learn a little bit about prayer, but anyway, we're going to have a good time on Wednesday night. But I'm going to ask the children to come down and line up at the door. Uh, come on down here, line up at the door, and we're going to go back and learn about truth. We're going to learn the gospel. We're going to learn a lot of good stuff this morning. Thank for these children. Glad to see the young children at church and excited about church. I know I pray one of the things we did when we came to Beaver is we wanted our kids uh, to have a good church experience and to love church. And, and I think our children, by and large, love church. They want to be here. And so I'm really excited about that. Marty, if you need any help, you holler, all right? <laughs> we, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for all the do the work. We ha we've had a great time. We ate breakfast this morning, and I typically don't eat very much just because I have to get up and preach, but I went on fill the tank up this morning and uh, appreciate all the men that come. There's six or seven. I don't know how many folks were there this morning, six or seven of them cooking and preparing they buy the food during the week and get it all ready so really thankful uh, for that group of men and great time today dan taught this morning and we learned a little bit about a godly man named blaze pascal and uh, that's good for us so we're in first timothy chapter six this is probably one more week we'll probably finish this thing up and then we'll get jump into second timothy but 
We're in chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. I love that last song, uh, God the Uncreated One. As we read down through the bottom here, um, at the end of the text, Paul goes into this doxology. You know, he's, he's talking about uh, um, keeping the commandments um, until Jesus appears. Look at verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know what that means when you say he's the King of kings and Lord of lords? What's that mean? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's the big dog, right? He's supreme. He's, he's the top of the chain, right? Everybody answers to him. He answers to no one. Who alone has immortality. Who alone has immortality? Alone, I mean, no one else has this. He's immortal. He's, he's always has been and he always will be. Who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So at the end of this text, you have this song of praise, and, and I appreciate that music, appreciate the praise team helping us with that. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16, mainly 11 through 14. But thinking about, I have four kids. They don't like it when I talk about them. That's just part of it, don't you think? That's just part of the deal, you know? Um, but my son, uh, <laughs> he don't mind. He don't mind. He, he doesn't mind as much, maybe. Um the um, ever since Seth was born, I've been praying for him, just as you have, right, Brian? You've been praying for your kids, right? You—that's uh, what you do, right, Mickey? You pray for your kids. You know, you pray every day. And Jackson, you pray for your boys, don't you? You have been praying for them, and that's what you do. You just pray for your kids. And but wondering about what's going to happen with with Seth, and you pray for salvation, and that he would come to know the Lord, and God would do a miraculous work in his life, and he would be born again, and. Seth's made that profession of faith, and he's trusted the Lord. And some people ask me, what do you think old Seth's going to do when he gets older? Like, I, I don't know. We talk about that a lot. Hey, what do you want to do? Now, if you ask a 13-year-old what he wants to do, um, he might give you, you know, 10 different things he might want to do. I know what I wanted to be when I was 13. I want to be a game warden. Yeah, I just want to be a game warden. I like to hunt and fish. I thought, that's kind of closest thing you can get to they didn't have like i never thought about being like a hunting guy that would have been like really the thing to do but that was kind of like something you get to do hunting fish and um but but our, our desires change right and lord as we plan our ways he directs our steps uh, never in never in a once in my life did i ever want to be a preacher ever but the lord directs our steps doesn't he but sometimes we talk about that with seth and what do you think you might want to do and um, I think, man, you want, want to be a missionary, you know, because we lived overseas, and I'd love for my kids to, to take the gospel to hard places, you know, that you want to be a pastor, you want to be a missionary, you want to be a worship leader, you know, what do you want to be? And, of course, that, that'll change over time uh, as the Lord um, begins to direct his steps to his future and what he'll do. He might want to be a policeman, a plumber, a truck driver, a teacher, you know, an accountant. I don't know. But one thing I do is, is, and I tell him a lot, I pray for him that 
I pray that he would be a, a man of God. No matter what, that you would love the Lord. And wherever you are, and whatever you do for a living to provide for your family, that you would do it in a way that gives glory to God, and you would influence those in your sphere of influence. And you would do the work of a minister. And we're in our text today, and Paul is pointing his attention to Timothy. And he says in verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, he calls him a man of God. And this is in contrast to what we've seen last week. Do you remember last week, the false teachers? You remember they were conceited. They were full of themselves, right, and loved to quarrel. And they wanted to do ministry because they thought it was a good way to make some money, get rich. You remember those guys? Well, Timothy is being contrasted with those punks from last week. But you, Timothy, you're not like that. You're not prideful. You don't like to fuss and fight and stir up trouble. You're not doing this to make money. You, you're, you're a man of God. And it's interesting, this title, Man of God, that was, look in the Old Testament, it was given to some pretty awesome folks. We call them heroes of the faith. Moses in Deuteronomy 33, David in, in, in Nehemiah 12, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 4. They're called men of God. But here Paul is calling Timothy a man of God. And we, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 17 where he says the scriptures equip the man of God to do every good work. He uses it there as well. But this is... This text here is directed right at Timothy, who is a minister of the gospel. He's, he's given a deposit of biblical truth as a trust to be distributed to the people of God. But I think about this, thinking about our context today, and we're, we're, all of us are here together, but, but, but there are some other men here who maybe you're not a pastor, but you're equipped with the word and you teach the word. I think this passage is also relevant for you. But I think there's some principles that, that can apply to all of us. A good hermeneutical principle when you're reading through the, the Bible, one of the things you do when you're looking at a text of Scripture is look at the, the verbs, the action verbs, the strong verbs in the paragraph. And so that's what we're going to do here. And, and we see there's five action verbs that are kind of help us outline our text this morning. And, and the first one is flee. The second one is pursue. You see that? Flee is in verse 11. Also, the second sentence there in verse 11, pursue. You see that? Pursue. And then verse 12, fight. Second sentence in verse 12, take hold of. And all the way down there to, to verse 14, keep. These are going to help us outline our text this morning. So our first point comes from verse 11. The man of God flees from sin. Now, Timothy's commanded here, he's to run from the sins of the false teachers. And what were their sin? Arrogance, conceit, combativeness, greed. Paul tells Timothy, run from those things. And sometimes the bravest thing we can do is, in the Christian life anyway is to run away. And Paul's not elevating cowardice here. 
I, I'm a Western. We like to watch Westerns, me and my girls. We're Western fans. Audie Murphy, John Wayne, Randolph Sky. We like those, those cats. Robert Mitchell. And in those Westerns, what would they, how would they label somebody if they was a coward? Yellow. Yellow. So Paul's not saying we ought to be yellow as a Christian. I don't think he's promoting that, but it's a spiritual strategy. Sometimes, Jerry, we got to run. We got to get out of Dodge. We have to flee. Think about this. You see some people in the Bible doing that. Jesus, Mary and Joseph with Jesus, they fled several times. Once they fled to Egypt, right? And one time Jesus was in his hometown, Nazareth. He had to flee. They wanted to kill him. Remember that? And what about the Apostle Paul? You remember after he was saved, he was in Damascus, and the disciples had to lower him down in a basket down the, the city wall, and he had to escape in the darkness of night. Sometimes there's, it's where we need to flee. Flee what? Flee the bad doctrine, bad attitudes, greed, temptation. And this, this, attitude, this, this connotation here, is, is, it's not just something you do once, but it's just something you do habitually. It's a habit. There's certain things we just stay away from. Fleeing is what saved Joseph from Potiphar's wife. Remember that? Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife. Kind of drawn to Joseph. Joseph was favor of God upon his life. He was faithful. Potiphar put him in charge of everything, and she... Started hitting on him, pursuing him. He said, your husband's giving me everything, everything in this house but you. How dare I? I could never do such a sinful thing. She called him when no one was there, and he ran out of the, clothes, ran out of the house without his clothes on, right? She had his clothes, and she cried, and they ended up putting him in jail. But it saved, Potter, I mean, it saved Joseph from Potiphar's wife. Not fleeing is what killed Samson. Samson, he didn't want to flee. He liked those late-night couch sessions with Delilah, or some people call her Delier, right? See that in Judges 16. And what about David? Not fleeing is what led to David's misery and trouble with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David's a king. He sent Joab instead. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of King's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Stop! Stop right there! What do you do in that situation? Get away. Go. Do something. What did he do? He didn't flee, and it led to his... Claire Beth, it led to his family's demise and a lot of misery. Well, what might that look like? We say flee 
the man of God flees from sin. What might that look like in our lives? Think about that for your own life. You thinking? In your own life. Not in my life, but in your own life. As a man of God or a woman of God, what might that look like? If you're a student, what might that look like for you? Maybe not having a TV in your room. Possibly. Maybe not having a TV at all. For some of you, that sounds kind of Amish. It, it may be having some kind of accountability partner with somebody so you can confess your sin and ask them to ask you about a specific, a specific temptation you have. Somebody you work with or somebody in your small group. Maybe your pastor. I do that for several brothers in the church. It might look like this. It doesn't have to look like this. This may not be you, but it might look like where you're like, mm, I don't social drink anymore. Can't do it. You're fleeing from it. You're keeping it at arm's distance, right? You're avoiding those things. It might be that you have software that sends a record to your wife. Everything that you look at, your wife sees. Everything you look at on your phone or your computer, your wife sees. Maybe that's maybe that what, what it looks like for you to flee. For some of us, it might be that we don't go to malls. We don't go to department stores. Because you're, you're eat up with this materialism and greed and discontentment. I don't go there. And that's, that's real. We would do that when we were coming on stateside. We were overseas and living in a third world country and we'd come here like, the last thing we would ever do is go to a, a department store or a mall. Yeah, because that, what does that do? Doing that just feeds that discontentment. Makes you greedy and worldly and materialistic. Yeah, and I don't know what it, maybe something else. There's hundreds of things may have come to your mind. And we see something similar here when Paul says, flee these things. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Same principle. Do what you got to do to avoid those sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors. The man of God takes serious the, the vices and temptations, recognizes those things I need to avoid. Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent, prudent means wise, right? The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. There might be something that just wrecks you. Maybe you get up in the morning, and the first thing you do is you turn on the Today Show. And it just has some blah, 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 whatever. But it gets you in a funky, worldly kind of frame of mind. 
What does don't don't turn the TV on in the morning? I, I don't I don't know what that looks for you, but a wise person sees danger and hides himself, right? So the question for us is are we fleeing from what needs to be avoided in our lives? O oh, man of God, flee these things. Second point, the second verb, the man of God pursues Christ's likeness. See, fleeing or putting off, another, another expression Paul uses, put off and put on. You, you remember that kind of metaphor, word picture he uses? Taking off and putting on. But we also have to pursue something. We can't just take off. We can't just avoid we also have to put on something. We have to pursue something. We can say no to ungodliness, but you have to say yes to godliness. No to ungodliness, right? But we have to say yes to godliness. Take off your old clothes, but you've got to put on some new ones as well. And What's that look like? You run away from evil, but you've got to run towards goodness. Now, there's six virtues that should be embraced or put on. And Paul does something similar in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and then 12 through 14. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practice. That's the fleeing, Aiden, staying away from, putting off, right? But then, then he says, but put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven us, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on, right, pursue love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. Same principles here. We're to flee, to avoid, to stiff arm certain things, but we're to pursue and embrace others. So the life of a Christian, a man of God, requires us to stay away from some things, but not everything. Escape from the dangers of these things, but then pursue these other things that lead to a righteous life. John Stott, he says, we're simply to run from evil as we run from danger and to run after godliness as we run after success. That is, we have to give our mind, our time, our energy to both flight and pursuit. Notice these list of six virtues or characteristics real quickly. And before we look at these, it's not just like this idea that we just, okay, this is what we have to do. We kind of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we just have to get her done. Notice, these are the things that the Lord commands us to do and wants us to do, but these are the things that God promises to do in us. So it's just not, oh, we're just doing this on our own. No, we're doing this with God's help. As He helps us do the things He wants us to do. And what is that? Firstly, pursue righteousness. And this isn't just imputed right. A lot of times we think of righteousness. We think of the imputed righteousness that Christ gives us when we place our faith in Him. I mean, how do we have a relationship with the Holy God? How can we even pray? How can we even approach God? It's because we have Christ's imputed righteousness given to us. If we didn't have His perfect record given to us, we could never even pray. We'd still be separated from God. I mean, that's why, that's why unbelievers go to hell. Because they don't have Christ's righteousness that allows them to approach the Father boldly. But this righteousness here is not just imputed righteousness, but the outward righteousness, like righteous conduct. And we see this in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. 
Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That what is right, same word, same, same thing here, righteousness. So it's not just our standing, our position, because we're in Christ, but it's, it's talking about outward, observable activity. Righteous things you do. So we're to pursue those things, to do live righteously, live rightly. And coupled with that is godliness. It's just a call to be distinct, to be like God. It's kind of a general broad spectrum type of virtue. Look at chapter 4. Flip over real quickly, 4 verse 7. Same deal here. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Pursue godliness. When you think of a godly person, listen to me. When you think of a godly person, who do you think of? Just think of it. Rhetorical question here. Godly person, who do you think of? You got somebody in your mind? Somebody that's godly. Loves God, they act like God, they're a godly person. Got them? Maybe it's a grandmother, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a, a co-worker, maybe it's a small group leader. But you think about godly, that person, what they do, how they live their life, that's what you need to be doing. What's that person do? How do you characterize his life? He has a passion for the gospel. He has backbone, but he's gentle about it. There's a wisdom there. There's restraint. There's self-control there. Yeah, I don't know who your person is. The person I got in mind, I've got certain things going on there. That's what you need to be pursuing, doing those things. Live like them. Emulate that person. Okay? And this righteousness and godliness, it's noticeable conduct, right? They go together. They enhance each other, producing a life pleasing to the Lord. Thirdly, faith. Pursue faith. What does it mean to faith God? It's to trust God, right? And we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with all of them. How many of you have been anxious? Anybody anxious lately? Yeah. We're anxious because we don't trust the Lord enough, right? But here the man of God is admonished to Trust the Lord. I love the, the hymn, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. It's kind of like the daddy had the boy. He was possessed by a demon and, Ask Jesus to help. Jesus says, you just need to believe. He says, man, I believe. Help my unbelief. That ought to be our prayer. How many of you trust God enough? Boy, that is a great scripture to pray. God, I do trust you. I do trust you, but help my unbelief. Help me to trust you more. And out of that, of course, is love. This is God loves us, doesn't he? He has affection for us. And in turn, there's an, has an effect. We have a love for, for others. 
John 59, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's Jesus' words. And as we abide in his love, what happens? We begin to love others. It has an effect, right? We love others because God loves us. It spills over, right, in our treatment of other people. And, and then pursue steadfastness. That's another word for perseverance, endurance, patience, maybe while suffering. Writer of Hebrews tells us we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold your original confidence firm to the end. You're, there's steadfastness there. There's perseverance. And there's strength about it, isn't it, in this virtue? He's persevering. He's, he's tough. He's tough. He's tough. He endures. He's, he's tough. But coupled with this toughness is gentleness, and that's the, the last virtue here. Gentleness has been described as kindness towards difficult people. We should have strength, and we should demonstrate that, but it should be gentle strength, right? Oh, man of God, flee sin, but pursue godliness. And are you pursuing godliness? Thirdly, verse 12, the man of God fights for the faith. Again, salvation is a, a work of God in our lives. God's doing the work in us, right? But it's not altogether passive. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Fight the fight of faith. Contend for the faith. Paul, at the end of his life, you remember those famous words, 2 Timothy 4, 7? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He fought the good fight. Paul did. So it's not just a, a passive exercise. And sometimes I think we just think that as I, as I observe our church family, and not just our church family, but those that, that are here on Sunday morning, right? We have a hundred, right at a hundred members of our church and another hundred, 120 that we minister to regularly. And I think about this group of people. I think kind of what happens is we have this idea that Christianity is kind of a passive thing. So we come to church and Christianity and, and, and our faith and, and sanctification, it just kind of happens. The only thing wrong with that is it's wrong. We have to be about it. Fleeing, pursuing, fighting. We see here in verse 10, verse 21 of this chapter, Paul describes the false teachers of having wandered from the faith since some have wandered from it, it's all the more urgent that Timothy should fight for it. Again, 2 Timothy 4, 7, uh, Paul talks about this. He said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Passive. It just kind of happens. 
I kind of live my life, good folk, good people, faithful to my wife, pay my bills, responsible person, go to church. But I think we, we oftentimes we just have this idea that being godly is just going to happen. Fourth point, the man of God takes hold of eternal life, verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life. That's kind of interesting. In the scriptures, eternal life is both a present possession and a future hope. It's both. All the way back to chapter 1, verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We believe and we have eternal life. It's a present reality. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has eternal life. So eternal life is a present reality for us believers. We have eternal life now. It's also a future hope, right? Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So it's also something future we look forward to. Present reality, future hope. It's both and. So if eternal life is a present reality, then why would Paul tell Timothy to take hold of it? That's probably, this is the, the troublesome part for me in this text. Take hold of it. What, what, what does that mean? And I think the the best answer to that question is that it's possible to possess something without embracing and enjoying it. If you're a believer, you have eternal life. It's a present reality. It's yours. But are you embracing, are you enjoying it? Man of God, enjoy, embrace eternal life now. And what, that, what does that look like? It, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves. We have to be reminded of God's goodness. We have to be reminded of what we have in Christ. And no matter what's going on in life, we've I mean, I've spent a lot of time with our shut-ins lately, talking to them, seeing them, bearing them. Folks that are sick and some not getting any better. Yeah, they need to be reminded, hey, you have eternal life. Man, you're suffering, you're hurting, and we hate it. We're praying for God to alleviate some of that and give you grace. But, man, you have eternal life.
You're seated in the heavenlies even now. That's something to rejoice and be thankful for, be excited about. Lastly, the man of God keeps God's word. Look at 13 and 14. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the commandment. The commandment. That's kind of interesting. What does it mean by the commandment there? We see this used throughout the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What do I mean by commandment? It's just the scriptures. God's word. What's Paul saying here? He's saying no matter what you do, obey the word of God. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. This is a stern and serious, very pointed. Obey God's word. And if you die doing it, then God who gives life to all things will give you eternal life. It's already yours anyway. Think about Jesus. What was he concerned about? He stood before Pontius Pilate. What was he concerned about? All these things Pontius Pilate was saying. Jesus just went on with it. Jesus wasn't concerned about Pilate. He was concerned about the Father and obeying the Father's will. We're not men of the world like the false teachers who are not content. We're men of God and we're men of the Word. We're women of the Word. So let's obey it. Obey Him above all things. So what do we do? How do we apply this to our lives as we about to take the Lord's Supper? It's these five action verbs. Man of God, you flee. Flee from sin and pursue. Pursue what? Pursue Christ's likeness. Fight the good fight, the fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. Keep the commandments. Before we take the Lord's Supper, just a quick question. Are you getting after it? These are action verbs. These are things that require movement. And Is that you? Or can you say in your life as a Christian that you're really getting after it? Are you really Are you really getting it done? Are you putting forth effort? It's not a this isn't a works-based thing here, right? Salvation comes from the Lord. But he wants us to be faithful. The things he wants to do in us, he wants to do in us. He's going to bring it about, but he wants us to be faithful and pursuing those things. Let's be active and moving towards Christ's likeness so we can please Him in every good work.